Welcome, listeners. This is The Owner's Manual, a podcast for parents, and I'm your host, Drew Nash. This is episode 104, which is actually the third full episode of this new show. And we have a terrific show for you today. Today's guest and I will talk about parenting strategies to deal with a common topic that we talk about in my office all the time, the picky eater. After the discussion with my guest, I'll answer some phone-in questions from listeners. The Owner's Manual, a podcast for parents, is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, and YouTube. If you like what you hear, tell your friends. I hope you'll subscribe to the show so you can be notified when each new episode becomes available. Also, check out our Facebook page at The Owner's Manual Podcast, where you can like us, post a comment, and even post a question to be answered on the show. While we hope that listeners are able to learn and benefit from the content of this show, the information discussed on the owner's manual is not intended to diagnose or treat any specific individual or condition. There is no substitute for direct patient care from a trained clinician. So if you have concerns about your child, we recommend that you make an appointment with your child's primary care physician for an evaluation. Now let's jump right in. My guest today has been a friend for almost 15 years. She received her undergraduate education at the University of California, Davis, before moving to Israel to attend medical school at Tel Aviv University. She completed her pediatric residency at the University of Maryland Hospital for Children and then moved back to California to practice. In addition to being an excellent and caring pediatrician, she has a great sense of humor and makes me laugh over and over again. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Deborah Weissishai. Thanks for coming in today and talking. My pleasure. And we're going to talk about picky eaters and what to do with them and how to prevent them. Sounds good. So, so I guess the first thing I like to start with is just kind of defining the problem. So, how common a problem is the picky eater? Are are some kids picky? Are half of the kids picky eaters or most kids is this a big deal i would say the majority of children go through a picky phase and depending on how the parents handle it will determine the outcome and how long it'll last okay so age when you start to see this like is this something something that you start seeing like in infancy when you're starting solids or kind of just run through kind of the most common scenario that you would see kind of as a pediatrician as to when you'd start hearing about it from parents? So for the most part in infancy, when you start introducing solid foods to babies, they tend to accept most of it. And what will happen is around between 15, more like 18 months, uh, parents will come in to me and say, you know, my child always ate these vegetables uh, without a problem and all of a sudden they're throwing them off their tray and don't want to eat them and it's a pretty typical age to do this it's the age where they learn to say no Mm -hmm. it's an age where they learn that their parents want them to do certain things and they can refuse and it causes some uh, emotional response from the parents Mm -hmm. and the children Uh, see that as a source of autonomy and power, honestly, because you uh, 
you control everything that they do and all of a sudden they realize there's something that you can't control which is you can't make a child swallow and so because they're in their autonomous phase and they enjoy the fact that there's actually one thing out there that they can control they tend to run with it yep i think the term normal negativism which is what comes in around then so they're throwing stuff off the high chair the things that they used to eat they're looking at you like "Mm, not gonna do it um what to do so i like to preempt knowing that the child will eventually start refusing things i try and preempt Uh, the problem by discussing it early on when the child's an infant um, and when we start solid foods between four to six months depending on the child and so the first thing that I tell the parents to do is to train the child's palate to like things that aren't necessarily sweet so I I like them to start feeding their child uh, vegetables Um, like peas or zucchini or green beans, those type of things, before they even introduce any sweet foods like fruits. And so that the child gets used to these flavors. And then as they progress in the foods that they eat, um, you keep giving them the vegetables and you don't hide them and you give it them to them in their natural form. And so that they just think that's what food is. And so when they start becoming picky and start throwing down the the green beans um, in hopes that you will give them something else, um, that's where you circle back and say, well, I know my child doesn't mind eating these. They've always eaten them. And so that's when you have to start strategically um, manipulating them back to where they were uh, because if you ask them to eat it, they will invariably say no. Mm-hmm. Can I just stop you for a second mm-hmm. there? I want to circle back to the beginning where you said four to six months, you're starting the, the vegetables before the fruits. So certain vegetables are, and I think that a lot of it has to do with you take away the texture of foods and you turn it into a puree, you're left with, well, no texture and just the just the inherent flavor. So certain flavors I think are, better received. My experience is like green beans in particular has a unique flavor that I personally enjoy, but you take away that crisp crunch of a bean and you're left with just the flavor. Some kids initially are going to look at you and make a pouty face and spit it out or whatever. Is there something you can do at that point to kind of encourage them to eat it? And does repetition make it better? Um, Sure. And Uh, actually I had that same problem with my youngest daughter she for some reason couldn't stand the taste of peas and I just wanted her to eat peas and like them and learn how to uh, enjoy different flavors so uh, what I did with her when she was probably around six months of age is I um, would take the peas I'd thicken them up so they would stay on the spoon with a little bit of um, cereal and I would Uh, take a spoonful and I would dip it in applesauce and give it to her and she was happy as could be and uh, smile and eat it and then the next bite would be without the applesauce and she would make a sour face and then the next bite would be with the applesauce and we would go back and forth Ah, so blending some blending flavors and then some some blended some straight up yes and I would do it back and forth and eventually she stopped 
making a funny face when she ate the peas without it. So then I stopped the applesauce and it worked and she continued to eat peas without a problem. I think human nature in general for most people, not all necessarily, and I think this is just a genetic trait. Most humans, when you expose them to something that they've never experienced before, have a, usually have a negative first response. Correct. So, and studies have shown that. Yeah, that you have I mean, to give the child uh, a taste twenty times before they'll yeah, accept so it. So, I guess that's kind of where I'm going with that. Is just like just because your kid makes a face and looks at you like, "What is this you're feeding me?" With repetition and or the trick that you just kind of explained, uh, things may get better. And the child may, over time, accept that flavor as being normal food flavor. Correct. I mean, yeah, the, don't give up on one them. of the ways that kids, or I think it's probably true in all mammalian populations, that one of the ways that offspring figure out what's food and what's not is from the example set by their parents. That's so, very true. Yeah, so, if you continue to offer it, then they'll eventually get the fact get the fact that this is food. This isn't dirt or something <laughs> <laughs> correct okay correct. so the go on that so then you were talking it. more about the toddler who's already experienced that flavor who is now starting to get more kind of negative and well they'll pick up on the fact that a lot of people are very worried that their child needs to eat something there's this idea that they can't skip a meal they have to eat an adequate amount uh and People and parents get stressed out that uh, their child isn't eating enough, which uh, some of that is probably cultural. It's learned from your mm-hmm. own parents. Uh, it's the part clean of the plate club clean, and all that. Yeah. Clean your plate syndrome. Yeah, yeah. And what I try and tell parents is that, you know, sometimes you don't feel hungry at breakfast, so you don't eat it and you eat lunch and nothing happens to you. Mm-hmm. You. You know, or if a child doesn't eat dinner, I, pr- I say to them, I promise they will not be dead by They're morning. They're not going to die. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the first thing is to really change the narrative in the parent's uh, brain and their experiences and their um, what they've learned from their own parents that you just need to relax and know that children don't necessarily have to eat something. That's the whole thing. They have to eat something. Um, no, they don't. And if you can realize that, then you can change the, the pattern. So children will notice that you, they, at a very early age, they know when you're happy, they know when you're angry, they know when you're stressed, and they can see if you think it's super important for them to eat, it's almost a game and fun for them to refuse it. Yes. And so you play. Especially with toddlers. Especially with toddlers when they're trying to, um, they're trying to push their autonomy on you. And so if you show them your cards, if you don't have a poker face and they see that you get upset when they don't eat, what they will do is they will toss out the green beans or whatever you want them to eat until you give them another alternative that suits them. It could be a fruit or, you know, a sweet or something like that. And because they know that you want them just to, quote, eat something. And so that's the first thing you have to get rid of as a parent is is really not worry that they haven't eaten. And so what I tell parents is that the best thing you could do is show indifference. 
and you and it's not uh, it's not false indifference. You should really be indifferent. There's unless a child has some um, complex medical problem or or other factors that you have to make sure they're eating something. Most kids will self nourish without your help. As long as you provide what they need, they will self nourish enough to thrive. And so if you could realize that, that sometimes they'll eat a lot, sometimes they'll eat a little, and they're just doing what their body needs, um, then you don't have to worry about the quantity of the food. You're just responsible for the quality. And I think that that's true. Just that is an important point to make in pediatrics in that when kids come in for checkups, the first thing we do, even before the doctor sees them, is we weigh them because we're following their growth. And if a kid is growing normally, then they are being adequately nourished. And generally, you know, there's exceptions when you get into teenagers who start having maybe an eating disorder, but when we're talking about infants and toddlers, they will not let you underfeed them. Correct. They just, now it may be variable day to day, but kids don't starve themselves. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. And uh, and even what we would call skinny kids or people look at children and they say, oh, they're so skinny. I always remind them what they looked like when they yep. were the same age. Yep. Apple and does not fall far it, from the tree. It doesn't. Yeah. And there's always one parent who was, everybody was worried about them eating and they're still here alive and yep. well. Amazingly. Amazingly. <laughs> so I, I, I tell them really just to show indifference because if they see your cards, if they know you're stressed about them eating, you're, you're going to lose. And you will never, I tell them that you will never ever win a food battle. hundred percent of the time you will lose. So the best thing to do is not have them. So that, that's not only just true, I th- but I think there's a lot of research to substantiate that. So when you have, when people have tried different strategies, as far as, you know, making the kids sit at the table until all the green beans are gone or whatever, whatever the thing is, those strategies never work. Ever. 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 And so, it so causes that strategy. pathological feeding patterns. Yes. And you can actually shoot them the other way and have trouble with uh, being overweight and, mm-hmm. and overfeeding because you're not allowing them to uh, follow their own satiety cues. Yep. And so what I tell parents to do is, you know, um, the, the best way, especially during the toddler phase when they're they're getting picky, is I, I tell parents, uh, eat like you're eating at a fancy restaurant and eat in courses. And the whole family, when they sit down at the table, they should all get their uh, vegetable that you wanted everyone to eat. So including the parents, including the older siblings, everybody gets their little plate with just their green beans or their salad or whatever you wanted to eat that evening for dinner. And... Um, and that's what you start with. And then if the child doesn't finish it, you shrug your shoulders and look surprised and say, oh, you must not be hungry. Go play with your toys. Excuse them from the table. Say, you don't have to eat that. You must not be hungry. And really show them that you don't care. And you shouldn't care. You really shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Now, That's what, the trick. That's the trick. <laughs> it's, it's how you behave towards the child, honestly. And what the child will discover is they'll leave the table and they'll go play with their toys. And then they'll think... Well, but I was hungry. And so they will return 
and you hand them back their food and and hopefully they will eat it. If they don't, you say, oh, you must not be hungry. Or if they ask you for something, they'll say, oh, we don't have that. This is what we're having for dinner. And what you can show them is after you eat your own salad or green beans or peas or whatever you decided, the rest of the food, the second course comes out, which is whatever else you are going to have. And they can see, oh, if I finish this, this is what comes next. You don't point it out to them. You let them see what, how things go at your table. And yeah, I think there's... A mistake that parents make is there's too much talking about it. Yes, don't talk about yeah, it. Just Indifference is the word that exact, I yeah. like to tell them. Yep. Don't talk about it. Don't show your cards. And, and really, don't worry about it because I'm not worried about it as their pediatrician. Because, again, we don't care about meal-to-meal variation. They can eat um, heavily one day and very light another day, and it doesn't bother us a bit. All we do is look for the fact that they're growing at a steady pace over time. So... When you give them the first course and you give them the healthiest food that you're having at dinner, um, you catch them when they're, one, hungry, they're at their hungriest, and uh, most motivated to eat. And then they can see that this is what they have to eat, and if they don't want it, they don't have to eat, but you're not going to provide them anything else. You're not going to give them choices. You're not going to say, how about this? How about that? And you're not going to say, well, just take three bites and then you can have ice cream for dessert. That's probably one of the worst things you can do because that really seeds all power. And it just shows them that they control you as Mm -hmm. opposed to you feed them the way you should as a parent. And I find that if I can convince parents to to not have the battle, that their kids come through it just fine. I mean, double down, and, and they may skip a meal and you should be okay with it because what they will discover is that while the game isn't there, you, they can't get you to get excited about it or to give them something else. So then they'll find another way to, uh, to, to, to fight you on something, but they won't fight you on this. And again, you will never win. So I really encourage people not to have I, that bottle. One of the th- pieces of advice that I give to parents is don't, engage in a battle that you can't win correct and so i mean the bait the battles you can't win are food sleep and potty training and those are i don't know 90 percent of the behavioral questions we get correct and they're all start at the same time which is when the child knows that they can push you on certain uh, subjects so i think that the advice of keeping your cards hidden keeping your poker face don't let them see where the buttons are to press. However you want to say it is sound advice, not just for feeding, but for when you're dealing with a kid who's having a behavioral thing. If they think that if they behave a certain way or don't behave a certain way, they're going to make or wreck your day, they'll do it. They will do it. Yes. So. <laughs> and enjoy themselves because for them, any sort of attention is good, even if it's negative attention they just like it just as much as positive attention. So they will create that chaos at your house. So you have to just kind of be blase and just disengage. Correct. So um, do you find that there is a increased or decrease in incidence of picky kids uh, with birth order, like firstborns? Are they more picky, less picky, secondborns? Or do you think it's just individual kid? You know, I haven't noticed that trend. I think they come from the same parent. So Mm -hmm. it depends on if the parent decides to do it differently the second time around. They're more relaxed. They know their kid will be fine. 
So it really, I think, it, rather than birth order, it depends on the parents and how well they learn from their first child. Mm-hmm. Possibly from the chaos going on with multiple kids, they may be less rigid with their limits or less, yeah. Right, and just don't have the time or inclination to battle a child uh, because other things are going on. It's too busy. But One of the things you said a minute ago that kind of uh, stuck with me is the child who is has three bites and then wants the, the ice cream or the parent offers the ice cream if you just have three bites. So can you speak a little bit to, I guess, the role of dessert and... Um, do you need to have dessert? Is dessert a useful tool? Is dessert something that should be disengaged from a kid eating or not eating? Yeah, I'm not a fan of having a routine every day of having a dessert after dinner or something sweet after dinner. Some people will have a snack before bed that's sweet. And I'm not a fan of, of uh, creating routines that sometimes you have to de- deviate from or you want to deviate from because the child will really uh, adhere and follow a certain routine and they, they will not like it when you deviate from that routine. So I don't like you to create, I don't like parents to create one from the, from the start. And especially with food, um, you have to be very careful not to use food as a reward or as a sign of love or anything more than just nourishment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not, I, I, do, I don't think you should give dessert uh, after dinner. I don't think that that should be um, a routine at, at people's dinner table. I think dessert should be a here and there type of thing, maybe when you go out to eat, or and, and dessert could be just strawberries or just watermelon. Um, but it just should be part of uh, a, a normal meal not to have something sugary something sweet afterwards because you're creating uh, a routine that that you you really don't want to do you know, with I, your think child. What ha- I think what happens is if that becomes a routine then the meal becomes a pathway to dessert that's true too and then the question of uh, how many more bites do I have to eat Correct. so I can get my ice cream or how many more bite, or did I eat enough right and it shouldn't be a dialogue. It, you would eat till you're full and not pass that. And when you're full, you leave the table done. and you go do something else. Yeah. You don't get rewarded for eating yeah. a certain amount. Yeah. So you, if you're going to give your child something sweet, do it around the meal, not at the end of the meal as a finish line. Yeah. As you know, a prize. Yeah. And so that would be a really important thing to, to note. And, and in general, we're all eating too much sugar, too much processed foods. And so to really limit those, uh, to not having those on a, on a daily basis is really beneficial for, for the, the kids children. and for the parents. Correct. And again, setting good examples. Right. Absolutely. The other thing that uh, I really try and encourage parents um, to think about is that it, to not think that there are kids food and that there are adult food. There's just food, and the the children should be eating what you, quote-unquote, would say is adult food. If you go to a restaurant and you look at a child's menu, it's filled with processed foods. There's either mac and cheese, cheeseburgers, chicken tenders, um, hot dogs, and that's what is expected, in a way, for kids to eat. 
And I really encourage parents not to think of it that way, that we just eat food and we, they should eat the same food that we're eating and enjoy it and think that's what food is. And uh, really um, not separate the fact that kids have to eat high fat, high sugar, high processed foods in order for them to eat something. Uh, if I always tell them, you know, they don't know what a French fry tastes until somebody hands it to them. They don't know what ice cream tastes until somebody gives it to them. So delay that. You have a lot of control over what your child eats for the first two to three years of their life. Show them a good example. Show them this is what food is so that when they're out and about uh, and they're making their own choices, uh, they like healthy foods and so they'll choose healthy foods. But if you feel like there's a type of kid food that that's all they will eat, um, then you'll get your run into trouble and the kids won't make good decisions once they're uh, out of the out of the home and, and able to to choose their own foods. So what do you propose if you're out to dinner? Should they just eat a portion of what you're having? Absolutely. Yeah, just cut a bit off of what you're having. Yeah, they should eat the Most salad. restaurants, they give you too much food anyway. That's true. You yeah. can share <laughs> it probably with the whole table. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so just give them a little bit of what you're having. Exactly. Eat it or they not. Yeah, and even when they're when they're starting to eat, able to take more solid foods and not pureed foods, uh, that around nine months, I tell them just give them what you're eating at the at the table. Just cut it up into smaller bits and let them feed themselves. And hopefully, you're eating something slightly healthy. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so if you expect your child to eat green beans, you should be eating green yeah. beans. But um, and I also tell parents, look, we're not perfect. And uh, we have grown up with certain habits and, you know, sometimes you enjoy going and buying fast food or whatnot. But I, I tell parents, um, you know, this is your chance to, to change the narrative and change the habits of your family. And, and you know what, if you want to go through the drive-thru and get yourself a Big Mac, go right ahead. Just don't do it with your kid in the backseat. Um, it's okay to be a hypocrite in private because you are you are trying to change the narrative for your own child. And so let them know that this is not the food that we eat. And if, you know, because you're used to it and you grew up on it and you sometimes want it, just don't include your child in that. Just have your, uh, you know, uh, have your fun and, and really try and change it for your child. Okay. I would also encourage parents not to do Correct. that at all, but... Correct, but, but if we're yeah. being realistic, right. if you look down, uh, driving down the freeway and you see the huge line of cars and in and out uh, drive through, then you know we have to be realistic. But try not to take your child down that road or mm -hmm. teach them something different. Yep, because it's going to happen eventually when they're in high school and they have more ability to control those things, anyways. That's so. right. Yeah. Um, do you think there's genetic factors? Like, are some kids just inherently less picky and some kids inherently more picky probably probably but i you can always overcome that no i agree i i just i think so there's some kids that parents will come in and say i give them anything and they take everything and they don't bat an eyelash and and i don't think that was the parents doing i think the kid is just a, maybe a little bit more easygoing yeah. probably there's a difference in uh, the taste buds and that vary with different people and some children maybe have a heightened sense of taste and so are more sensitive to that and and I, so like I some people are more adverse to different things and some people are less adverse to uh, there's one family of mine that 
dear friends of mine who were my neighbors, and they have four boys. And I remember for each of their first three, we'd go over to their house for dinner occasionally. And my kids, who were somewhat picky, would be eating, you know, picking around things. And their kids would just be eating bowls of pasta with vegetables in and chicken. And just I was in awe at what happened. And then they had their fourth, who was... (laughs) Same parents, same rules, as far as I could tell, same environment, and that kid was the pickiest of picky, and I personally felt a little bit uh, vindicated. vindicated. And, yeah, <laughs> so that, okay, uh, there are genetic factors, because this kid is raised under the cir- same circumstances, so. I, I, I agree. Yeah. You just have to work you around You have to work with it, just like, yeah. it, you know, we uh, had a podcast about sleep. Some kids are inherently better sleepers than others. Um, you have to work with the ones that aren't as good, and try to influence them positively correct yeah Yeah. i think that would be the case with eating too and how about uh just a little bit off topic because we're talking about picky eaters but as they kind of get older and um you become tweeners or teenagers and have a little more control over what they eat because they can walk over to a cabinet and eat or not eat whatever they want um any advice for parents as far as I don't know snacking and things like that sometimes kids are home and the parents aren't and you can't control everything they do and any advice as far as trying to set up things yeah. for success in the home so one of the things that um, I think is important is to not make certain foods um, attractive because you don't allow them to have it uh, sometimes if you um, have a certain food and you don't allow them to eat it and they want to eat it, it's going, you're going to make that food just a more heightened need for the child. And then they start doing, uh, pathological behaviors like sneaking food and whatnot. It's almost better to have certain foods in your home, uh, that sit in the pantry and that you teach them that, you know, you can have it, uh, sure you can have it here and there. And so you don't make it this, coveted food because it's a, it's a forbidden food mm-hmm. uh, I think when you do that the kids will go the other way and they'll start to sneak or they'll buy it themselves when or they'll take it from their friends who who have it at their at school and their lunches and so uh, you want to make sure that food doesn't become this prize or or um, something exotic in a way because your family doesn't allow you to eat it uh, because I think that will create problems as well um, so you don't you want to you want to use moderation, but there's a certain time where the kids can really be a part of the conversation about what's good for them and what isn't. So, you know, sure have these you know cheez its or whatever is in the pantry that you keep, um, but make sure they understand we eat a little bit and we we offset it with because we eat well in general and let them be part of the conversation. Uh, there's a certain point where they can understand that you're doing it because you want them to stay oh, absolutely. healthy. So if you're having having chips, maybe pour a portion into a bowl as opposed to eating Eat from, the from the bag. Exactly. Yeah. And then just one last topic, and this I think applies both to uh, infants, toddlers, and uh, older kids. Um, a lot of people do what I call passive eating where they're in front of a TV either whether that's having dinner with the television on or just sitting on the couch snacking with the TV on. Um, yeah, that's a big that. problem. And, and studies have shown that you eat 20% more when you are eating in front of a distractor like TV. And so um, 
one of the things is you really shouldn't have any TV or or streaming or anything going on during mealtime because then you don't pay attention to your senses and the taste and uh, and the, you don't notice that you're eating and the quantity of food that you're eating. Plus, it's nice to talk with your family members yes, uh, during dinner. It's really beneficial. Um, but uh, what I did in my own house is that uh, the rule is uh, we don't eat anywhere but the kitchen and the table. So they never my kids and I tell them I, I also don't want the rug to get dirty sure. with yeah, all there's the hygiene issue hygiene issue and spilling things but from the get-go we only eat either in the kitchen or in the dining, dining room table. table and if you keep that rule from day one um, that's an easy way to overcome that problem of mindless eating and there's less crumbs in the family correct room. less Great. carpet cleaning well Deborah <laughs> um, just before we say goodbye um, i like to give you an opportunity to tell people where you work if they want to hear more from you and um you're now in practice in walnut creek correct walnut creek california for those who are listening far away and uh w where can people how can people get a hold of you uh if they just uh you can actually just find me on google if you put my name in deborah yc shy i pop right up and you can find the number there great all right well, thanks for coming in and talking to us. I really appreciate your time. My and, pleasure. And your experience with all this. So uh, Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. All right. And let's take a break. When we come back, we'll take some phone-in questions. take questions, I want to let the listeners know about our phone-in line, which has been set up for people to call in and leave voicemail questions to be answered on the show. The call-in number is 925-732-6274. We also have a Facebook page at the Owner's Manual Podcast, where you can leave comments or post questions for the show. Whichever way you prefer, we would love to hear from you. And now to the questions. Our first question is relevant to today's topic. Hi, Dr. Nash. This is Sandra from Danville, California, and I'm calling because my 18-month-old has become an incredibly difficult eater. She refuses food she used to love. She usually will throw her food. Uh, often at mealtime, she just refuses to eat. And I'm curious, what do we do? Thanks so much. It's a great question, Lauren, and one really relevant to today's topic. So an 18-month-old who's being picky at meals is a very common thing. Between 15 and 18 months, most children develop what we call normal negativism, which is when they learn that they can control the world by refusing to do things rather than by choosing to do anything in particular. And one of the first things that they realize they can control is what they eat or don't eat. So your job as a mother is to provide a healthy selection of foods for your child to enjoy. And their job is to eat them. And just as much 
as they can't select what's for dinner, you can't make the meat. So what you really need to do and all you really can do is stick to your job. Offer your child some fruits, some vegetables, some proteins, a mixture of healthy things. And they can eat or not eat depending on how they feel. Now, dinner time is really the least important meal of the day because an hour or two later, they're going to sleep. So they don't really need a lot of energy for bedtime. Whereas breakfast and lunch, when they're running around, is usually more important. Also, by the end of the day, most toddlers are kind of tired and cranky and aren't going to be behaving their best. So put the foods out and let them eat. The basic doctrine of pediatrics is that kids won't starve themselves. They really do eat what they need. And if you're giving them healthy choices, then they will eat healthy foods. That's really all there is to it. Now, if you have concerns, when you go to the child's doctor for regular checkups, just talk about the growth chart. If your child is progressing along the growth chart normally, then that means that their nutrition is adequate and they're doing fine. Hope that helps. The next question is about allergies and what we can do about them. Hey, Dr. Nash, this is Chris from Danville. Uh, I have a 15-year-old son, and I've got a question. He has seasonal allergies, and I was wondering if you would recommend that he use a nasal spray along with a tablet. Just trying to get some information so he could kind of limit the symptoms that he has right now. Sometimes they're worse than others. Thanks so much. Thanks for calling, Chris. So seasonal allergies or hay fever is really common, especially in this part of the country. They say that the East Bay of San Francisco is the most allergy intense place in the country. I'm not sure if that's true, but it certainly seems like it, especially in the spring. So things you can do for your child before you even get into medications, the first thing to think about is getting the pollen off of their body before they go to sleep. So most kids with a good head of hair will walk around and pollen will collect on their head all day long. And by the time they go to sleep, it's covered. If you look at their hair under a microscope, you'll see pollen all over it. So something as simple as having them take a bath or a shower and actually washing their hair every night will make a big difference. That way, when they lay down and go to sleep, they're not rolling around in a face full of pollen. The other thing that really helps is changing their pillowcase a few extra times a week during the peak allergy season. Again, shampooing the hair is gonna get a lot of the pollen out, but not all of it. So if you change their pillowcase a little more frequently, you'll find that in the morning, they're less congested and their symptoms are in general a bit better. As far as medications go, there are many, many great choices now that are safe and effective and over the counter. I usually recommend that children over two or three years of age with hay fever symptoms start with a non-sedating long-acting antihistamine, such as cetirizine, which is generic for Zyrtec, or loratadine, which is generic for Claritin. These usually help. They're not gonna make the allergies gone, but they'll help. The next step most people recommend is using a nasal steroid, luticasone, 
which is generic for flonase. The combination of an antihistamine and a nasal steroid usually will decrease the symptoms to a degree that the child is comfortable enough and able to stay active outside without any restrictions. And if using those two things doesn't really get you to a point where you feel comfortable for your child, then I think it's time to go in and talk to your child's doctor. And that's our show. I hope you enjoyed it and can use the information to help with your picky eater. Tell your friends to listen and subscribe. And check out our Facebook page at the Owner's Manual Podcast. Leave a comment or a question for the show. Until next time, this is your host, Drew Nash, wishing you good health and happy parenting. The opinions and beliefs expressed on the Owner's Manual are that of myself, Dr. Nash, and my guests, and do not necessarily represent those of sponsors or other governing boards. The Owner's Manual is recorded and produced at Neutron Sound, Danville, California. The content of the Owner's Manual is the intellectual property of Andrew L. Nash, M.D., and One-to-One Pediatrics Incorporated. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Thank you.